You're listening to InsuranceRadio.com. We sit down for personal conversations with the top insurance and financial advisors, executives, and regulators. Listen in to learn more about their ideas and personal stories at InsuranceRadio.com. Welcome to our program. Our guest today is Adam Hand. He is the insurance commissioner for the state of North Dakota. It's so great to have you on our program, Commissioner Hand. Good afternoon, Dennis. Good to be with you. Say, your resume is quite impressive uh, for a boy from Jamestown, North Dakota. Uh, you served in the on the U.S. Financial Stability Oversight Council, where you represent the interests of all the nation's state insurance regulators, which monitors the stability of the nation's financial system and coordinate the response to any uh, threats. Uh, you were also elected to your second term as the North Dakota Insurance Commissioner in 2012. Uh, you're the uh, immediate past president of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, which is the national association that makes up the chief insurance regulators from all 50 states and territories. Uh, you've been an attorney in private practice as well as served as a prosecutor for the Cass County State's Attorney's Office. I uh, see you've got a law degree from the University of North Dakota uh, School of Law, and prior to that, uh, you were an undergraduate degree from Sam Houston State University. Uh, you and your family uh, live in Bismarck. Uh, I see you grew up in Jamestown, uh, North Dakota. How big a town is Jamestown, North Dakota? For, for North Dakota, it's, it's not too small. If you look on a national scene, it probably would be seen that way. It's about 15,000 people, so one of the bigger towns in the state. Yeah, so for our listeners out there who might be closer traveling through Jamestown, if I was going to stop for breakfast, what would be the place that I'd want to stop? Uh, well, nowadays you'd probably stop at the Perkins on the north side of town. That'd be where you find most of the coffee clutches talking about what's going on in Jamestown. But when I was a kid, uh, there were a couple of you know mom and pop cafes like Haugen's or Parkway, which is where that activity would take place. Normal small town of that nature. You know, you're gonna every day you're gonna find the same. 10, 12 folks talking about what's going on in, in Jamestown. Yeah, you betcha. Uh, say, what did your parents do, your, your mom and dad? What did they do when you were growing up in Jamestown? Yeah, so my dad's side of the family ran a grocery store business called Ham's Market. Did that for the better part of 75 years, one of the original businesses in Jamestown. And then mom's side of the family, they were farmers and ranchers on the outside, outskirts of Jamestown. Were you, uh, now growing up, were you uh, kind of a bookworm or were you a... Uh, Involved in sports, or were you more the athlete, or more the book was, guy, or were you a little bit of both? No, I was uh, definitely didn't fall in love with books until later. When I was a kid, I was your you know standard red-blooded American kid playing any sport that could play. Yeah. Now, when you uh, what, what, tell me about your first job, like I presume in town in, in uh, high school or, or early college, what was your first job? Maybe one you really hated. Yeah. So I went to high. I grew up in Jamestown, but I went to high school in Los Angeles, Redondo Beach, and then I went to college in. Huntsville, Texas, where Sam Houston State is. I didn't have a job in high school. Sports kind of took up most of that time. So my first job wasn't until college, and I worked at the Health and Kinesiology Center on campus. Um, so you'd work in where you know, a lot of intramural athletics are taking place. So I did a lot of refereeing of intramural sports and um, did some things like that, and that was, it was interesting. I tell you what, the first time you get an actual paycheck you know, where you actually earn money for doing something, it was kind of like, well, wow, this isn't bad. You know, did you referee all sports, like basketball, football? It was, yeah, everything from whether it was, uh, you know, flag football to softball to basketball. So you had to learn kind of as you went. And boy, I'll tell you something, uh, intramural athletics, you might think it's just for the fun of it, but that's not how it works at all. So they take it very seriously, and you have to learn pretty quick, 
you need to know the rules of the game and you need to make correct calls or you're going to get yelled at a lot. Yeah, I could see that. You yeah. betcha. Say, uh, when you, uh, you got in, uh, involved in elective office uh, as commissioner, what was your uh, frame of mind or your reference when you, you learned that you'd been elected uh, commissioner of insurance? Well, actually, before I got elected, I was appointed into the job. The, the person who had the job before me left with about a year in his term. So I'm kind of unique within the 56 commissioners. I'm both an appointed guy and an elected guy. And, you know, we break down, there's about 12 elected commissioners of the 56 and the rest are appointed. So I kind of went through the process of being picked by a governor to have the job, and then I won election in 2008 and 2012, so a little bit unique. Um, but obviously, when I got appointed for the job, um, one of the things that the governor wanted to know was, did I want to run you know, for my own term in 2008? And it was definitely something that I had wanted to do ever since I had I got a law school. You know, elected office was a, a long-term goal. And so when that opportunity came available, I was more than ready to do it. Yeah. So you had experience as a practicing attorney and as a prosecutor. What, uh, what do you feel like was your the experience that best prepared you for what you were going to face when you became commissioner? Yeah, so out of law school, I was a prosecutor for about four years. I did personal crimes, so murder, rape, robbery, child abuse, uh, very high-pressure, high-stress uh, criminal caseload. And then in private practice, for about six years after that, so 10 years total as a practicing attorney. So, and in that private practice, among the cases I handled was some insurance defense work, insurance-related you know, contract work. So I brought that into the job as an insurance commissioner, but I, primarily the experience from being a practicing attorney to being a commissioner was learning how to juggle things, learning how to prioritize things, learning how to make sure that you're dealing with the most important issues of the day first. You have to learn how to do that as a prosecutor and then as a private practice attorney where you're keeping track of every six minutes of your time. And so that helped a lot becoming commissioner. And the rest of it, learn on the fly. Yeah. What are some of the, in North Dakota, you know, you've got, uh, when we read in North Dakota, we read about, read about oil and gas drilling. Absolutely. Uh, what are some of the issues or challenges maybe you're facing in the insurance sector in North Dakota today? Well, the insurance sector is growing by leaps and bounds because of that, you know, expanded oil activity that you see in the state. That commercial activity that has uh, been a boon for the state of North Dakota has then spilled over into pretty much every financial sector in the state. So just to give you one number, from about 2009 to about 2012 time, or uh, range of time, the, the industry was about a $4 billion in total premium per year. Now it's $5 billion. So you had that huge growth just in a couple of years, and pretty much all of it's related to what's going on up in the, you know, the Bakken, in the oil uh, fields. So you have that massive expansion in the amount of insurance activity going on in the state. You have a lot more insurance agents then coming into the state wanting to sell. Same amount of folks working in the insurance department. You have the same number, same FTE level, full-time equivalent level employees now as we had when it was a $4 billion industry. And so we've had to learn uh, from a regulatory perspective how to handle more with the same amount of staff. So you have to, on a literally daily, weekly, monthly basis, look for places where you can you know, consolidate some of the, the, the job duties that folks are doing. Um, do everything you can to manage that, you know, that, that, that growth in the insurance sector without having to add FDEs. As you know, I'm a Republican, so I want to keep the size and scope of government down as much as possible. So 
Uh, that's kind of been a success story for the insurance department now that industry has grown leaps and bounds, but we're still effectively and successfully, from a regulated perspective, managing that with the same amount of staff that we had previously. Have you seen a spike in uh, insurance fraud? And uh, have you had to change the way you approach your consumer education initiatives? That's, so the first part of that question, great question on fraud. Um, what we saw after the financial crisis was there was a beginning to see a spike in the amount of fraud referrals and fraud cases that we had in the state. In my department, I have two fraud investigators, both of whom are licensed peace officers. We don't have in our department the ability to prosecute criminal cases. So all of the fraud referrals that come in that my folks investigate and then ultimately determine whether or not they're fact sufficient that maybe insurance fraud occurred, they then have to go work with the local county prosecutors around the state to see if the prosecutor will take the case. And so through that process, after the financial crisis, seeing more and more fraudulent referrals coming to the department, and then my folks basically becoming on a first-name basis with law enforcement and prosecutors across the state, there was, there was a definite rise in both the amount of cases coming into the department and then the amount of insurance fraud prosecutions going on around the state of North Dakota. Thankfully, those numbers which we track on a yearly basis have started to level off. Part of that is because you know, we're slowly but surely coming out of a financial recession, but it's also, in my opinion, because word started to spread across the state that insurance fraud was not something that was going to be taken lightly in North Dakota, certainly not by the insurance department, but also because my investigators did such a great job working hand-in-hand -hand with law enforcement and prosecutors that they were taking the cases, prosecuting them, and getting you know, pretty good criminal sentences. So there, was, there began to be a deterrent effect out there. That this is not something that, that neither the regulators or law enforcement is going to look the other way on. So thankfully, we've started to see those things level off. The second part of your question on consumer education, like every insurance commissioner, my number one priority is protecting consumers. A big part of that is educating them. We went through a, a project pretty recently of completely revamping our website. And the main reason we wanted to do that is, from a regulated perspective, we wanted to be kind of a one-stop shop for any insurance consumer in my state if they wanted to know about health insurance, life insurance, PNC, any issues going on. They could be able to come to that landing page in the North Dakota Insurance Department and within just a couple of clicks, find out hopefully everything that they needed to know. And so it, that was the better part of you know, a six to 12 month process of completely retooling that website. It's been hugely successful. In addition to that, we have the state health insurance counseling program that assists North Dakotans with health insurance questions, Medicare related questions. We also have the Prescription Connection Program that helps Medicare beneficiaries with Part D, you know, prescription drug benefits. So every year we're out in multiple cities across the state meeting one-on-one -on -one with North Dakotans to help them through these issues. So those are just a few of the things that we do with consumer education. Yeah, the department, do you have to uh, watch the clouds or the weather channel? And uh, you know, what, what, is, uh, what kind of reaction do you have when you have natural disasters like tornadoes or floods or you know, maybe even earthquakes. Uh, I know some other parts of the country with uh, oil drilling and fracking, yeah. they're beginning to experience earthquakes. Well, in North Dakota is the land of extremes when it comes to weather. And when we were talking about the, where would you go have breakfast in Jamestown, I can guarantee on an everyday basis, the first topic is the weather, right? Um, thankfully, we haven't had a lot of, or 
basically any earthquake activity, but just about any other type of natural disaster, we have it in North Dakota. Uh, maybe hurricanes could probably exclude that, but tornadoes, floods, ice storms, hail, all that sort of thing. We've had a couple of, unfortunately, in my tenure, seven and a half years, a couple of major tornadoes. One was an F4 tornado. And what, so my experiences from both of those, what we have found in terms of helping consumers in those first few days, week after the tornado, what we do best in the insurance department is just making sure that folks have the, whatever information it is that they want or need available at a moment's notice. We're working with insurance companies to make sure that their disaster recovery teams are in place, on site, helping people on the day-to-day -day needs that they, that they have. And our role in the insurance department really doesn't kick in for a couple, two, three weeks down the road. Because people at the beginning, after a huge natural disaster, they're not really worried about filing their claim and questions that they have on their policy. Those come later. And so the, the F4 tornado I'm talking about, which was a massive event in my state, we actually had insurance department staff set up shop in that community a few weeks after the event so that on a day-to-day -day basis, people that were starting to have those questions, they had now pulled out their policy, started to go through it, having conversations with their agent and their company, and now they're starting to have you know, questions or concerns. We had you know, our consumer representatives on site every day meeting with people on a day-to-day -day basis. And so from those personal experiences that we had, that's what we found works best. Those first few days, just make sure you're present, available, folks know you're there, you're needed, and then a couple weeks after, then have a major presence so that they know you're there to help. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, say so you're the immediate, just the immediate past president of the NAIC. Uh, That's why I'm in such a good mood. <laughs> I'm not so, the president anymore. So do you have any advice for your successor? Uh, <laughs> or nothing that we want to do on the air? Uh, you know, describe to me uh, your experience as president of the NAIC and, and what did that, uh, uh, that obviously brought a lot of uh, knowledge and experience and resources that you could deploy back in, uh, I'm sure, North Dakota. Yeah, it was a huge privilege to be the president of the NAIC. And so that's a four-year commitment. You know, the way our office elections work, you start out as secretary-treasurer, then you become vice president, then president-elect, then president. So you're, for four straight years, you're ramping up to the responsibilities ultimately as president. Once you're president of the NASC, I mean, you're, so you're talking, I mean, all of what's on your shoulders is, you know, the, the present and future of state-based insurance regulations. So you're the one person who, at the end of the day, is representing 11,500 state insurance regulators throughout the entire country and in a, in a larger sense the insurance industry itself because you're not you're giving speeches and presentations and discussions not just domestically but more so internationally so you know in my year as president I, mean, I was I, I didn't even keep track of all the places I went but I can tell you my wife did because she had a calendar of how many days I was gone and it averaged about 20 days a month I was on the road you know, representing you know, the interests of state insurance regulation. Like I said, it was a, a huge privilege, but once it's done, it's a huge relief to pass that responsibility on to, to the next person. And thankfully, in, in the case of the NAC, the next person is Monica Lundin, uh, who is a fabulous uh, leader, uh, fabulous commissioner own right, and she's going to do a great job in 2015. What are some of the issues that you're involved with in, uh, at the NAC right now, kind of, yeah. in, in, now that you're... Uh, 
passed and you're yep. able to move on just to maybe issue-based things? Uh, so the, the two primary things that you've probably heard of that I'm involved in, in now, in September of last year, I replaced uh, the Missouri Insurance Director, John Huff, on the Financial Stability Oversight Council. And I'm also the chair of the NEIC's new Cybersecurity Task Force, which we set up fourth quarter of 2014, and then first quarter of this year is when we populated it with commissioners. There are 30 commissioners that are on the task force, and then I was selected as the chair. Ray Farmer, the insurance director in South Carolina, is the vice chair. Um, we have a very uh, aggressive work plan for 2015 on cybersecurity. It's literally top of mind everywhere you go, not just in the insurance sector, but anything that has to do with the financial services sector. Cybersecurity is the number one topic being discussed. So we know as insurance regulators that uh, there are a lot of eyes on us, and we want to make sure that we're doing everything possible to have our arms completely around these issues. So our work plan for 2015 includes things like making sure we have guiding principles in place that serve as kind of the, kind of our planting our flag in the area of cybersecurity in terms of here's what we're going to be doing for consumers and for the industry itself. We're going to have a consumer bill of rights that we're going to be working on. We're going to be doing a data call with insurers. So they'll start reporting to us on what's going on in the cyber insurance market. So we have a complete handle on who's selling it, how big the market is, claims, how big the claims are, how many claims are coming in so that we have a much clearer picture of what's going on in there. And then the fourth work stream is best practices for examiners. We want to make sure that we are world-class and have best practices in place so that when we're examining an insurance company, the folks that we have from our insurance department or that we've contracted to do the exam know the questions to ask and all the questions to ask with respect to a specific insurer's cybersecurity protocols or processes to do everything we can as regulators to make sure that there aren't breaches in the future like we have seen with Anthem and Primera. So it's incredibly important work that we're going to be doing in 2015 on those issues. Sounds like you're right. It does pull you out of Bismarck, uh, away from the family, pretty regular. <laughs> but uh, also, it, uh, I'm sure it brings a lot of insight and experience back to Bismarck so that you can benefit, uh, bring that back to well, North Dakota. And that, that's a great point you raise. And it's one of the things I'm honestly the most proud of in terms of my time as an insurance commissioner. I mean, we're a very small state, as you know the second smallest state in the country by population. So it is very rare that an insurance commissioner from a state as small as North Dakota is, a, is able to be a national leader with respect to you know being an officer of the NEIC, chairing the Cybersecurity Task Force, being on FSOC. So those, it's, it is a huge you know, privilege and responsibility to do those things, but I'm incredibly proud to be able to rep represent North Dakota and, and do that. Looking back and uh, winding things down, I just want to ask you a couple of personal questions. Sure. And that is, you know, what uh, person, when you were growing up as a kid, had the biggest impact on your character? And and uh, if you had a chance to go back and tell them thank you, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, who would that be? Well, I love both my mom and my dad. Got different things from both of them. Uh, but to, to your question, I would I would definitely select my mom first and foremost. Um, incredibly honest person incredibly loyal to her friends and family, um, and, and no nonsense. You, know, you, you always knew where you stood with my mom 24 hours a day, and I've tried to you know, take those, those lessons that I learned from her and you know, try and try and emulate her as much as possible. 
you know, what are some of maybe the rules that are creed or rules that you live by and, and try and follow and practice in your life? Um, okay, I'd say the, the rule that I live by uh, pretty much every day is called is pressure is a privilege. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Huh. Um, so when, when you're fortunate enough to be in the position I'm in and have, have been able to, to build up to over the course of the last seven years, primarily because help from my friends. I didn't do this on my own, like everybody else who's achieved things. There are many people that have helped me get to this spot. But you, when you're in this spot, there is, there is enormous pressure, not just from the role I have as a statewide elected official in North Dakota, but because of these things we've talked about in terms of national work. And sometimes you see people that have that, that have that pressure from the roles they're in. They complain about it, or they constantly are down in the dumps, or you know, they're, they're they're just not a happy person. To me, you should look at it as the opposite. The fact that you're being given this role and having that opportunity, it's a privilege. And so I, n I never look at the fact that I'm running constantly or I'm here and there, I'm on the road 20 days a month. I don't look at that as a negative. I look at it as a privilege to get to do it. So I'm, I'm always reminding myself, pressure's a privilege, pressure's a privilege. Sounds like good advice. <laughs> uh, uh, Adam Ham, Commissioner, uh, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a little bit about yourself and your department and uh, what you've got going on in North Dakota and beyond. Uh, I'm sure that the people of Jamestown must be proud of, of hometown boys who's made good. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Dennis. This was fun. Oh, hi. You're still listening. Well, here at Insurance Radio, we love having personal conversations with the most successful executives and regulators in the financial industry. If you know an individual who you think would be a great guest for our program, you can find our email and phone number at our website, insuranceradio.com.